All right, today's episode of the A-Game Podcast, as always, is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links and check out our affiliates page to get discounted CBD from Naked Warrior Recovery, a Navy SEAL-owned CBD brand by William Brandon Hailing out of Hawaii. Go get quality CBD there. You can get topicals, you can get gummies, you can get drops, you can get clothes, you can get greens, you can get immune defense stuff. They have energy drinks. There's all kinds of different products on there. Check out that website. Every single week, there's more and more stuff on there. Quality products, if you have not been taking CBD or you've been taking that crap, you get at gas stations, try this your stuff for 30, 60 days consistently, and you will start to see a lot of aches and pains go away, especially any jujitsu guys, your neck, your joints, weightlifters, athletes. It really works a miracle for inflammation, for stress, for appetite, for all these different things. So, you know, just give it a go. And now when you click on our link, if you use codename A-Game in the, promo, in the uh, checkout, you'll be able to get 20% off any and all products on Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Also, do not forget, go on nicknicknick.com and get your free ebook that is what has changed because of COVID in the real estate market and what investor, every investor needs to know in this market. Check that out. It's absolutely free on the website. It's a quick, easy read. You guys will get a free ebook to download and give you a really good overview on some of the things that have adjusted in the last six to nine months since COVID came and how it's adjusting and reflecting on fix and flips, on wholesale, on commercial, on lending, on all kinds of things and just some great stuff you should look out for. So it's a nice big overview. Um, you can read through it pretty quick. It's free. If you go on Amazon, it's going to cost a little bit of money, but it is free on that website. Also, while you're there, let's figure out how to get you involved in some real estate. That's really what this whole thing is about, is trying to figure out how to help more people get involved in real estate and make their better financial picture, build up their asset statements and have a better 2021 so they don't have to be in a bad position and have no cash flow and no income. God forbid another pandemic happens or this starts to get dragged out a little bit more. So whether you're a beginner, it's immediate or advanced, whether you're looking for fix and flips, residential, commercial, partnering, whatever it may be, starting out, scaling up, let's figure out how to get you involved in some properties, whether you want to buy some properties from me, sell some properties to me, or figure out a way to partner on some properties. Let's figure out how to get that going. Also, if you're interested in being a guest or having me as a guest on any of your podcasts, please shoot me an email, podcast at nicknicknick.com if you want to talk about entrepreneurship, about mindset, about jujitsu, about McRibs. I am all about it. So uh, let's connect on real estate. Let's connect on podcasts. Let's expand our network and our circles and have a great 2021. I'm really excited about this guest. He was cool as hell to come on and give me his time. He's not easy to get. He could have said no. I think he actually did say no a few times, but I eventually uh, stuck with the path as usual. And uh, jujitsu as always, man, has become a common theme for people of all walks of life and business. I cannot say enough good things. I'm sure everybody who is not a jujitsu guy would say to hear about it, but things about it. But, you know, um, I recently saw Mark Evans post something about golf and how golf has helped him with relationships and putting networking together and making money and putting deals together and solving problems on business things and you know saying all these great things about golf 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 and for me that's been jujitsu you know again I can have conversations with people just like Steve has and I don't know if he would have agreed to honestly get on my podcast or talk to me if we did not have that jujitsu bond of just being able to say hey man like you're in jujitsu I'm in jujitsu because he has conversations all day hey you're an entrepreneur great I'm an entrepreneur I have interviews like this all day long Oh, you have a podcast? Great. I have a podcast. Everybody's got a podcast. Oh, you're a jujitsu guy and an entrepreneur and you have a podcast. Okay. Now we have three things. And one of them, I know I could talk about all day long. And it's just a little bit of a different level that when I, I have a conversation with him, we can drop those names and he knows the name Matt Sarah. And I obviously know the Gracies that he's trained with. And he knows 
that I'm a black belt and I know that he's a brown belt. We both know that we've been through some shit to get there. We've gotten our asses kicked and we haven't quit and we've come back and we both know that as hard as it's been, we love that. We live for that and we miss that every day. And that same path we've taken in jujitsu is that same path that we've taken in business. And I know without even having a longer conversation than a few messages, knowing what he's been through as an entrepreneur by just reading a little bit about him and knowing that he's a brown belt, I know a lot about him as a person and it translated very well into this episode. So I can't say enough things about how jujitsu to me is the new golf, the relationships, the conversations I've had, the guests I've had, the people I've hung out with, the business I've done, just, I cannot tell you the amount of doors that it's opened and given me credibility for probably more than anything else. Um, it's just been amazing. So again, I keep saying jujitsu is new golf. Uh, Steve Ulcher, it was an absolute pleasure to get to know him. We've been talking to him a little bit since then. I can't say enough good things. I'm so impressed with this guy. As I started doing more and more research on him, uh, leading up to the podcast, which again, people don't realize how much time and effort goes into even just prepping. So you're prepared for your guests. You don't look like a rookie and you don't say the wrong thing. You don't cover stuff they're not doing. There's a lot more that goes into it, but it was a pleasure to get in and dig into his track record, his resume, his business here on my other podcast, hear about liquor.com and his real estate stuff and so many things that we didn't even get to get into on this. So definitely check out steveulcher.com. Check out him on social media. Check out his, his media summit. Check out his podcast. Go read about him. See all the things he's been a part of and all the things he's done. Listen to him on Kevin Harrington podcast. And you guys will be really impressed with him on that level. And hopefully my jujitsu friends and my business friends and real estate friends that listen to this podcast, enjoy it, get some things from it. But understand that as much as I am a jujitsu nerd and so is he, those lessons that we talk about anytime there's a jujitsu podcast, I don't want people to look at it and go, oh, it's a jujitsu guy. It's an MMA guy. You know, I'm a real estate guy. I'm a business guy. I'm a stock guy. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't want to see that. If you're not starting to see the similarities and the parallels to the things that they're saying, as far as being triumphant, being victorious and staying the course and, and following certain things in jujitsu that don't translate over into business and your personal life. And you were missing the whole point of this podcast. So look for these things, understand these things and substitute jujitsu with whatever it is. And you're going to start to see that those same base foundations to get through it, how you do anything is how you do everything. Like we always say, and this is no different. So again, let's get into some real estate, check out my book, check out Steve, check out Naked Warrior Recovery CBD and go take some jujitsu. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast in his 30 plus years as an entrepreneur. He is known as the world's reinvention expert. He is author of multiple books, including a New York Times bestseller, What Is Your What? Discovering the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do. He's the creator of the New Media Summit, the host of the Reinvention Radio Podcast, the host of the Beyond Eight Figures Podcast, founder and chairman of Liquor.com, founder and editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, real estate developer, drummer, phenomenal dancer from what I hear has created many multi-million dollar businesses, is 
a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, which is what the first thing that caught my eye and has been featured in CNN, Huffington Post, Forbes, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome and thank you so much for being here, Mr. Steve Olsher. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on. So I, I know you're very busy. I, uh, I don't take that lightly. I really appreciate you coming on today um, and talking about things. I've been doing a lot of research on you and following you and signing up for some of the stuff that you have going on. And there's so many different things that parallel my interest and, and you know, my guests and everything like that, that you really are the perfect combination of everything. Um, I usually ask to give just a quick 30,000 foot view, but I don't know if you can actually do that with your background. Yeah, I think you just did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good yeah. point. So starting with the podcast, obviously, um, you, you have a couple of them that I'd like to dig into, one of them being uh, the Reinvention Radio podcast and the other Beyond 8 Figures. I seen you do a lot of uh, promotions. You, you were one of the guys who was doing podcasts before podcasting was really the, the cool thing to do. And I know the saying is now everybody and their mother has a podcast. Yeah. Which, <laughs> your mom actually does have a podcast. But what, what initially found the interest for you for jumping into podcasts before it was really such a big platform? Yeah. And my mom does have a podcast. You're right. Actually, that's, that's, that's what I need for the next shirt. Um, my mom has a podcast, which she does. That's a good one. Um, so, you know, man, I, um, I've always loved music. I've always loved radio for me at some point. I really felt like if I could get a radio show, kind of a morning show kind of thing, uh, that would be like a, a Holy grail kind of thing for me. Right. But didn't pan out just whatever. So I was like, man, you know, but getting a little bit older, still loving the whole idea of just having some kind of show. And, and so as I started looking into uh, buying uh, radio time and buying broker time uh, on a, on a local Chicago station, when I lived in Chicago, yeah, I looked into it and I ended up doing it a little bit. And then I was like, man, you know, it's such a small station. I'm paying a pretty penny here. And reality is like, if, if nobody is tuned into this exact little AM station at this exact moment in time here in the city of Chicago in about a 16 block radius, you know, it's like, no one's going to actually hear this show. And it was around that same time, which is 2009 where Somebody got in my ear and um, frankly, I think it was the same time somebody got in my ear about Bitcoin, but I won't have that discussion <laughs> with you. Um, but somebody got in my ear about uh, podcasting and I was like, well, that seems like a pretty interesting thing. And I dug into it a little bit and I was like, damn, that's kind of cool, right? And you can put something out on, on the internet. It's like a radio show and people can listen to you no matter where they are, right? Almost anywhere in the world and they can download this and, and, and just consume that content on their preferred device on their own schedule. And like, man, that just seems so cool to me. And so in 2009, I said, you know what, let me, let me take this bit that we're doing here in terms of a radio show and I'll move it over to being a podcast episode. And so we did that with about 30 odd episodes. Um, and then I like so many succumbed to pod fade and I was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I don't really want to be doing this anymore. Uh, but then around 2015, I got the bug again, and we've been doing it pretty consistently ever since. That's awesome. You know, and I love what you're what you're doing, because obviously being in business, and I had Kevin Harrington on my podcast. I've actually worked with him for uh, for years. We were sharing some stages together and doing some stuff. And I know one of his big things is always pivoting. And we had a discussion about how he's had to pivot from the one hour infomercial to the 60 second attention span on, you know, TikTok or, or Instagram live. You obviously have had to pivot your business over years to be a successful entrepreneur over 30 years. And I, I love that that's really a theme for the reinvention podcast. 
Is that something that came from your personal experiences? What was it about reinventing that made you want to make that a theme of what you you do on your day in day out? Yeah. So for me, it's it's really all about like they say in author land that you write the book that you most need. And so for me, I've always really kind of had that that struggle of trying to figure out, okay, what what am I here to do? What what am I supposed to be doing with this life? Like it wasn't one of those, oh, I'm a musician or I'm a, you know, I'm a this or I'm a that. Like I just I've never really had that. I'm more chameleon-esque in, in nature. And so <clears throat> as I started looking at just that that whole world of Myers-Briggs and what colors your parachute and the strengths finders and all of these modalities that are supposed to help people really figure out who they are and what they're supposed to be doing. You know, a lot of those modalities just left me with more questions than answers. So I ended up creating my own framework, which is in my What Is Your What book. But the, the bottom line is that what I, what I became very clear on is that I was pretty good about really just being able to, as Kevin said, I guess on your, you know, one of your past episodes, they're really just being able to pivot and reinvent my life. And so what I realized quickly is that I had reinvented my life several times over and in pretty major ways. And I just knew that there were other people who must have been feeling the same and, and just struggling to figure out what it is that they should be doing. And then also having these stories um, from people who have, in fact, reinvented their lives and now they're changing the world as a result. And I was like, man, if I can combine those two things of helping people to answer some of the questions that I've had and then introduce the audience to people that have solved for that particular problem, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here to do something around reinvention. And so I'm not saying I made up the word or anything of that nature, but, you know, back in 2009, uh, when I did my first episode of Reinvention Radio, it wasn't quite as much of the the, the buzz word or word du jour, if you will, uh, as it is today. Well, I think that those timelines you're saying are, are very interesting because you mentioned 2008 and obviously now we're in 2020 and both times were very pivotal where people were forced to pivot and to do something. And as the entrepreneurial spirit, you have to either roll over and take it or you have to find a way to rebuild yourself. And I think that that's where that fine line is, 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 is there's a lot of people that are going to sit home and just try and collect a check or just admit defeat. And then there's the people that are going to persevere and become brown belts and black belts in jujitsu and push through. So for the business side of it, as, as the timeline that we're on now, are you finding it even more important than ever to really push that out there that you can reinvent yourself? Because I think your story of how your businesses have made it and then not done so well and then bought back up like everything with liquor.com is a testimony to, to really like, hey, everybody's got their ups and downs as business, but sticking with it and finding ways to pivot and reinvent. I think that that message is more important today than it probably ever has been. Well, I mean, look, you can obviously just, I mean, we know where we are right now in terms of the the struggles that so many people are having. And you, you've heard it thrown around a million times, you know, these, these, these are unprecedented times and there's the new normal and, you know, all the things that, you know, that people are, are saying. And, and it's true. You know, the reality is in, in a lot of ways for a lot of people, we're, we're not going back to how things were. I mean, it's just, things have, have changed. And, the, the more that we try to to really grasp and hold on to what was, the, the harder it is to shift into what you can be. 
right? And so most of us spend a lot of time fighting and kicking and screaming, trying to relive what worked for us yesterday or the day before or the day before, et cetera, as opposed to just really having clarity on, okay, what do I need to do now? What do I need to do today in order to really make this work? And so, yeah, I mean, more so now than ever, uh, people have to to learn how to persevere because as you reinvent and you recognize that the way that things were, it's not coming back, right? And, and you have to do something different. You're going to have some struggles. You're going to have some trials and tribulations. You're going to endure some brain damage trying to, to shift towards that new version of yourself and, and that new version of your, uh, you know, what are your business is going to be. So, yeah, really, really important today because we're all facing it and we'll continue to face it. And even when the pandemic is solved, pandemic is solved, there'll still be new challenges. I agree. You know, everything uh, I was talking to my friend, Billy Alvaro, and he said, you know, that's, that's really what we signed up for as entrepreneurs is to find solutions to problems all day. So when you have people that are like, this is a problem, that's a problem, this is a problem, that's a problem. It's like, well, yeah, but that's that's why we became high paid problem solvers. And that's why we do a lot of what we do, which you know, I echo, I, I've been trying to reshape that as all the struggles that come up on a daily basis. It's okay, this is a new challenge for me. How do I overcome that? How do I move past that? How do you adjust to that? And, you know, that's not always fun when you're doing it, but it definitely makes a great story for later on. It helps build things. But while people are trying to do that, I know you're, you you help get podcasts launched to help podcasts grow as well. I just hit my 100th episode and I had a lot of people throwing me different facts about the percentages of people that actually make it to like 10 episodes, 20 episodes, and the amount of podcasts that are out there that don't actually fall through, which like you said, the, the podcast fade. What are you finding um, with the people that you're starting that somebody listening to this that's trying to get their podcast off the ground, obviously they can work with you too, but to, to push past that and to really be uh, some, somebody that gets past those episodes, because I see the intention is, you know, oh, Joe Rogan started the podcast, they paid him $100 million, I'm going to do it for the money. And it reminds me a little bit of, of the fighters. You know, like I, I trained under Matt Serra, him and Pete Drago selling those guys. They weren't fighting in the UFC 10 years ago to make Conor McGregor money that didn't exist. They did it because they loved it. They did it because it's who they were. And now it's the same thing. Like if you want to be a fighter, you can't say, oh, I'm going to just go to the gym today. So one day I can have Conor McGregor money. I just feel like that's the kind of thing that doesn't last. So what are some things you're finding to help people really stay the course and be successful? Yeah. And, and to be clear, I mean, we do help people launch podcasts. That is part of what we do. But what we're, what we're really great at is is turning people into icons of influence in their niche. So really developing the brand, developing the moniker, developing who they're going to be in the world, so to speak. And, and a podcast then becomes a supporting mechanism or a core visibility strategy for attracting the right leads that then can become hopefully loyal, borderline fanatic uh, fans, followers, customers, et cetera. So, I mean, just going back to the question around podcasting specifically is I, I just think that you have to be super clear on why you're doing the show. And there's two main reasons to do a show. I mean, you're either doing a show because it's a vanity play and you just love the idea of hearing yourself talk, you know, and there's a lot of people and my wife will tell you, I just love hearing myself talk. And, you know, I guess it's true because, I like talking. I like meeting people like you and chatting, having conversations and so on. Um, but the reality is for me, I, I never really felt like there was enough. I, I don't want to say mm, substance, but I didn't have any um, I didn't have any false illusions. 
in terms of whether or not we were going to end up with millions of downloads on the show. I mean, it would have been nice, but for me, doing the show was really a, a method in which to meet interesting, cool people who were just doing some some super super cool stuff that I, I just wouldn't have a chance to meet them otherwise. So, you know, look, there, there's the vanity play where you're just doing it because again, you want to hear yourself talk or you've got a particular topic that's near and dear, like if you, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or MMA or UFC or whatnot, like you and I could probably shoot the crap on that, like for, for hours on end. And, and we'd have a good time doing it just because it's something that we love talking about. So we could do that. And that would be a vanity play. And if anybody tuned in and listened, great. But if you if you're looking at it from a vanity play standpoint, then don't get be you know don't dis- get disappointed when the numbers aren't where you want them to be, and you're not able to turn that podcast into a business, right? I mean, it just might not happen. And then on the other side of the coin, there are shows that you create simply because they are a an integral component of your of, of your overall business model, right? And so. What I know to be true is that every business needs a core visibility strategy. And so for many people, that core visibility strategy can be a podcast. But you have to be really clear on this this fundamental question of, am I creating a show that really serves and supports my business overall? And so there's a lot of different ways that you can support your, your business overall. I mean, you could, you could obviously build your, your credibility and that certainly helps you from an elevated status status standpoint, you could build your community. And that certainly helps in terms of people going, Oh yeah, you know, I'm part of this community and this, that, and the other, and I live, eat and breathe it. And this is, this is my guy, you know, or you can build your bank account. Right. And so all three of those options are viable options. And as long as you're clear again on, on why you're doing this and how it fits into the overall schema, then then, then you're going to have a, a much better chance of not only uh, creating a show that that you enjoy, but it's also scalable and it's sustainable. And hopefully, then you won't succumb to some of that pod fade stuff. I love that, man. I think that's an outstanding answer. Being somebody that has interviewed and been an entrepreneur for so long, I loved when I heard how you had two separate shows for basically two tiers of entrepreneurs. So obviously the beyond eight figures, people that are doing 10 million and up. A question I have for you about that was, what are some things that you're seeing after interviewing so many of them that's the difference you see from the people that are making a million to the people that are doing the 10 million plus? Is there any any specific things that you're hearing as far as habits or psychology or mindset or work ethic? Yeah, yeah. So, So to be clear, you're talking about Beyond Eight Figures. So two shows, Reinvention Radio and then Beyond Eight Figures. We started Beyond Eight Figures in 2018. Uh, To be honest, again, this is understanding why you're doing what you're doing. We started Beyond Eight Figures because I wanted to build my Rolodex of high net worth individuals. That was it. So I knew that if we could get people who came onto the show who had either exited from a business for more than $10 million or we're currently running businesses that gross more than $10 million annually, then these people by definition would more likely be high net worth individuals. And so at the time I was thinking about launching a technology company and I was going to be raising funds. It was a technology slash real estate company, but I was going to be raising funds for it. And I wanted them potentially to take an interest in what we were doing, potentially to stroke a check for it, or at least be able to introduce us to others 
who could or provide feedback and guidance around the idea, right? So, so that was the thinking going in. Now, what we what we ended up doing, of course, is um, you know, is sitting down with just as, as you've seen if you've gone through the feed, we sat down with just some some amazing people, and and the the reality is, yeah, I mean, there there's um, there there are a couple of key things that those who get to ten million dollars do that those who get to, to, to $1 million or more probably don't. Um, and, and what we realized is that quite quickly, the, the main thing that these people were doing was number one, they were really great at enrolling people in their vision. And so when, when, when you look at a million dollar business, uh, the operator of a million dollar business, what they typically do is they enroll their employees into the vision of a, of a particular task. And so getting something done, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, et cetera. And it's based on their own understanding of here are the things that need to be done versus a, a, an entrepreneur who has built a business to $10 million or more what they're really great at doing is enrolling people into the bigger vision of what's possible for that company and then having their people create their own interpretation and their own game plan for bringing that vision to, to fruition and then giving them ownership of doing so, right? So that's number one. And then number two, the, the entrepreneurs who grow to 10 million recognize pretty quickly. And when I say pretty quickly, I mean around two, three, four million dollars in revenue that they're just not going to be able to do everything that needs to be done. And they have to get comfortable with bringing in people who may not be as good as them, but are good enough, right? From the standpoint of like, let's just say sales, as an example, so if, if you are the, the leader of your company and you go out and you try to find, you know, these, these folks who are interested in what you're doing and people raise their hands and say, okay, tell me more. And you go out and you have those sales meetings. Maybe you can close 10 out of 10 of those people. Like you're just so good at what you do. And let's say each of those deals is a $100,000 deal. Okay. So now you've got a million dollars in revenue from those 10 deals that you personally closed. The entrepreneur that scales to eight figures and beyond says, okay, I'm going to bring in somebody who is 60% as good as I am. So they're not even, you know, 70 or 80 or 90% as good as I am. They're 60% as good as I am. Maybe some of them are a little bit better, 60%. And with that 60%, using the same numbers, if there are the same 10 meetings, they'll close 10 people, uh, they'll close six out of 10 people at being 60% as good on, on buying it at hundred grand. So now you've got one salesperson who's able to bring in 600K, not so appealing until you bring in the second salesperson. And now if that second salesperson is 60% of good, as good as, as you are as well, well, now you've got a million two in revenue coming in versus the million that you were able to generate. And yeah, you've got costs and expenses and this, that, and the other, and I don't want to get into all that. But when you get to your third person and your fourth person and your fifth person, 
it's the the equation is very simple and it's very simple math to figure out quite quickly that if I wanted to scale, I've got to give up that 40% to get the 60%. And ultimately that's where the opportunity is. That's a phenomenal answer. And I think, again, very relevant to almost everybody that I know right now that's an entrepreneur that's finding ways to scale up is giving up that control and realizing taking a step back could actually be taking multiple steps forward. That, that's great advice. Yeah. And, and being willing to, okay, fine. If I'm the one doing everything that needs to be done here and I'm making money doing it, being really disciplined about doing that for three months and maybe six months or whatever it is, and taking a number of dollars off the table so that you can feed yourself and do what you need to do for the next six months. So be real disciplined about the budget, be real disciplined about where you allocate your your time and, and, and your money, et cetera, pull that off the table, set it to the side. And then once you have that cushion for three months, six months, whatever it is, then be willing to take no salary and be willing to take no money for that period of time and invest that into the people so that you can then bring them in to do what you need them to do, taking your salary and giving it to them with the understanding of, they're going to continue to grow your business so that by the time you hit month six or month three or whatever it is, now not only do you have a much stronger team that's working on your behalf, but now you've got more revenue. Now you can get back to taking a salary and then it just, it's like a snowball and it, and it grows from there. That's outstanding. I love that. It's uh, that's wise words. Now, one of the things I wanted to parlay off of that conversation because we're talking about entrepreneurs and big earners. I've, you actually were, I think, the first person I followed on it, but I'm seeing a lot of the big guys that are doing what you're doing and scaling up and making these eight-figure businesses on Clubhouse now. Mm. So I, I followed you on Clubhouse and every time I'm seeing more and more faces pop up and getting the alerts, but it almost seems like all day, every day, there's an exciting room to be a part of. Like I, I almost, I, I don't know how to manage the time on there because it's like a 24 hour networking thing, but I know you've gone pretty big on it and you've done pretty well. And a couple other guys I know as well are doing that. And I keep hearing everybody's telling me, man, you got to get on it because Clubhouse is going to replace podcasts. What are your thoughts on this new platform? Um, yes. Be careful with the amount of time you <laughs> spend on Clubhouse. Uh, for full disclosure, right now I am on a Clubhouse stage. Uh, my phone is in my drawer because when I'm on a stage, you can't turn off the volume of the speaker. So I am literally sitting on a, on a Clubhouse stage right now. Um, the term that I've coined um, is leeching. L-E-E-C-H-I-N-G, um, which means I am on a stage collecting followers, but I'm not actually there. So that's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, but really big on the platform. I love the platform. I, I think there's a huge opportunity there. We started something called Club Pod, uh, which has quickly become the largest podcast specific club on Clubhouse. We're at around 12,000 members and followers uh, and we've been live with it for about 13, 14 days, something of that nature. I think there's a huge opportunity there. I, I do think that when you when you look at the numbers right now, they're pretty compelling. You know, a million two hundred thousand, a million three hundred thousand people in Clubhouse right now. It's iOS only. It's in beta. You know, if you just extrapolate it out, and let's just say we have twelve thousand members in uh, in Club Pod. Okay, I'm not saying it's going to stay at this trajectory. 
But if we've got 12,000 people in right now, and there's a million two on the platform, that's 1% coming into Club Pod. If you look at the numbers of a Facebook, et cetera, and, and Clubhouse can't handle it right now anyway. I mean, they're crashing. They're, they've only got a team of about nine, 10 people. You know, they're, they're going through their own growing pains, but they'll raise money. They'll, they'll be able to expand and they'll, they'll be able to handle the bandwidth and just growing pains. But let's just say they get to 100 million people on the platform that are actively using it. If we can capture 1% of that, that's a pretty decent club that we've built. So I am all about audio, love audio, love what they're doing. I love the raw, real, authentic nature of Clubhouse. And, and look, we've got a we've got a pendulum right now. In in and pendulums have been working, you know, to our benefit, to our detriment, however you want to look at it, for millennia. And Michael Drew wrote a great book on it called Pendulum. And so when you think about a pendulum, it kind of swings one way and kind of swings the other, and swings one way, swings the other. We had gotten to the point where things were really swinging all the way up here from the standpoint of really highly produced, highly polished, just beautiful looking content, right? In terms of the videos people were putting out, even in terms of the podcast and the production quality and so on and so forth. So when you when you create that big of a cavern between the haves and the have-nots, the haves being those who can afford all of those editors and studio and designers and all that stuff, and then the have-nots, those who can't, eventually it gets to the point where it starts to cave in on itself. And that's what you're starting to see right now is this backlash, especially through the pandemic, you know, people not getting dressed up with people just wearing sweats, with people doing whatever it is they need to do to be comfortable and casual, you're, you're, it's like this perfect storm, this perfect convergence of trends. And that pendulum is swinging back towards raw, real, authentic, unpolished, you know, unproduced conversations and productions and, and content creation, right? So the, the timing here is really good because you've, you've got half of the population, meaning women, who don't necessarily love the idea of being on video unless they've got hair and, and makeup done and, and look and look nice. You know, men, some men care, a lot of men don't, but basically you were alienating half of the population saying, hey, you know, unless you look great, you shouldn't be on video. So, so all of that being said, it's just a very interesting convergence of trends with the pandemic and everything else going on. The timing couldn't be better for them. And, and we actually host um, a number of rooms on Clubhouse in Club Pod where we talk about, you know, is Clubhouse, the, is it going to kill podcasting? And so I do believe that there is some risk. What does that mean? Is it possible that everyone would consume their audio content on Clubhouse moving forward? It's possible. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible because the time that people are spending listening to folks talk in clubhouse rooms is time that they're not spending potentially listening to podcasts. What I, what I do think, though, is that because of the way that clubhouse is built, where it's built in a way where it is real time. And so the, the real-time elements of, of Clubhouse means that th there's no recordings. It doesn't live anywhere. You're either on in that moment or you're not. And it's not always feasible. And you're not always going to want to be on Clubhouse at that exact moment in time. If you've got time between 5 and 6 p.m. and your favorite podcaster isn't on hosting a room, 
then you're going to go and you're going to find that evergreen content. So I do believe that unless they switch it somehow, which would take out a lot of the FOMO and the other reasons why I think Clubhouse is doing so well, but if they take some of that, you know, off of the table in terms of pulling it away from podcasts and have recordings and have this evergreen channel, so to speak, if you open a room and then that room lives somewhere as a recording, um, I, I think there is some some real risk there. But at the same token, it's also really um let's just say it's really challenging for most people to get to the exact content that they want exactly when they want it. So even if it was recorded and it's a two hour room, let's say, and some of those rooms go much, much longer, you know, are you going to sit through and sift through a six hour room as an example to find that, that 30 minute piece that you really want? So could it evolve into being a podcast killer? Potentially, but I also see that there's a lot of synergies between the two channels. And I will say that for us, we've been able to use Clubhouse to drive people to our other offerings, including our podcasts. So um, lots of synergies at this moment as they expand features. Uh, is it potentially in jeopardy? I don't know. As the editor and found you know, editor in chief and founder of Podcast Magazine, uh, I hope not. <laughs> Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the Tri-State Area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. You can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585. 0585 for your free online drum lesson. Fair enough. No, I agree. I definitely think that there's, uh, you know, there's people that are using it very well. Some of the ones that I know that are pulling a lot of business off of it, they're on it just all the time. And it became a thing where I'm like, I, I literally just can't commit that time to it right now and risk it not being paid off because I'm going to lose stuff over here. But I do also agree with you that when I've gone on there looking to follow certain people or hear certain things, it's hard sometimes to sift through and I'll switch rooms and a lot of it is the same guys jumping between the rooms, giving their intros and then they're out. So um, whereas with podcasts, you know, I could literally pull yours up and look through and see the role of guests and topics at any time. So that, that on demand feature, I think is interesting. Um, but talking about, uh, you know, obviously- and, and- And I'll just share one more thing to that. And your point is really well taken because very, very, very rarely, Nick, will you see one room with one speaker. So if you really like, let's say uh, my buddy, Roland Frazier, who's got a great podcast called Business Lunch. If you go to a room where Roland is, he's going to be one of probably 30 speakers on the stage. So the amount of time that Roland actually speaks, even though he's on that stage, it's very, very, very minimal. So 
you know, that's a, that's a great point that you're making. And, and again, another one of the reasons why if you really love someone and really resonate with someone, you're probably just going to go straight to the source. And so that, that point's really well taken. I love that. The, the new media summit is something I found very interesting. And, um, you know, talking about pivoting businesses, obviously, a big part of my business was live events, you know, going out there, traveling around that came to a big stop. Um, so things are moving more virtual now. And I know you have a new media summit coming up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I did sign up for it and I'm excited for it. And I think it's a great idea. Yeah, thanks, man. So we've been doing it since 2017. Um, it is an event where we give, uh, let's just call them aspiring podcast guests, the opportunity to meet other, po- uh, you know, top podcasters and to, and to pitch them on who they are and what they do. And they literally get booked on the spot. And so the new media summit is responsible for, I mean, we lost count, but well over 10,000 bookings uh, over the years between 2017 and, and March of 2020 when we were doing it live pandemic hit. We were actually one of the last events to go on right before the pandemic shut everything down. So, um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's had to shift over to virtual, uh, and we did two virtual new media summits uh, through 2020, uh, and we've got another virtual new media summit coming up here in early February, uh, and it's just a very unique event from that standpoint of being able to connect with and learn from leading podcasters and pitch them uh, and pick up podcast bookings. And, and, and I also spend some time teaching about how to turn visibility uh, into revenue. And, and so there's teachings that go on in small group discussions and panels and, uh, and so on. So uh, we do try to keep it really interesting. Virtual is, is fun. Um, I love it. It gives people the opportunity to join us who might necessarily, you know, not necessarily be able to join us otherwise. Um, but at the same token, you know, just I, I miss like you do you know, just the, the live events and then being with other human beings uh, that are just, you know, are as fired up about the medium as, as you are. So, yeah, man. But yeah, we're doing it virtually. And, um, and again, we've done it now um, a couple of times virtually. We'll do it. This is our third virtual New Media Summit and, uh, and looking forward to, to having a lot of fun there for sure. I'm excited for it, man. And obviously, I'm going to give you a chance to tell everybody where to find you if they could check it out as well. Um, but one more thing before we start jumping into jujitsu is I, I heard you talk about your yay no moments. And I thought it was brilliant with playing along with the slight edge principle and just making sure as an entrepreneur that you're making smart decisions. And I, I've constantly been a big advocate for everybody thinks it's the decisions. And I've always said it's it's not. It's It's every single little decision you make that got you to where that is. And, and I liked your theory with it, that yay, no, and being somebody that's been in so many different businesses and with all these different platforms and all these different objects coming at you, how do you focus on what businesses or ventures or platforms and things you really want to put time into? Because I imagine the amount of stuff that comes across your desk for opportunities every day that's the new hot thing or the new clubhouse or the new this or the new that can be overwhelming and take you in different different paths, different, different ways, different directions. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um... So thank you for bringing that up. Um, you know, it's one of those um, it's one of those concepts that I, I really should talk about more. As a matter of fact, I'm going to write it down because I always forget about the things that I've <laughs> taught and 
and, and, you know, it's like you, especially as a content creator, you just create so much that you forget about some of your favorites that resonate with people. So, you know, is, uh, is one of the seven life altering principles that I talk about in my, uh, in my New York times bestseller, what is your what? Um, and so, uh, it, it really just for those who, who aren't familiar with the concept, it basically just is a fancy way of saying yes, no. Right. So it's a yay, no moment. We're all faced with these yay, no moments. And, and the the idea, and Nick, you're spot on with this, the idea with um, just really understanding how to leverage this this whole concept of Yano is, is taking full control of the decisions that you make, no matter how small those decisions are. In, in terms of saying, yes, I'm going to do this, or no, I'm not going to do this, right? I mean, it's really just as simple as that. So as an example, when Nick asked me to be a guest on, on his show, that was a Yano moment, right? I mean, I could have said no, and... Um, you know, with everything that we've got going on with podcast magazine and the like, I mean, it, you know, potentially could have been a, a logical answer to say no, but I said, yes. So it was a, you know, moment. And so I made that conscious choice to say yes. And so ultimately your, your goal as a human being that walks this planet is to stack up as many of those yay no moments as you can with the right decisions so that you get to wherever that defined destination is in the most time efficient and cost effective manner possible and and do so as often as possible without just regret or or without um, you know, being angry at someone else, so to speak, for the decision that you've made, because ultimately you are con in complete control of the decisions that you make. And so to hold someone else responsible for your saying yes, when you should have said no or vice versa, I mean, that's, that is 100% on you. And, and what I will tell you is that if you look back on your life, you can see that there were some pretty clearly defined yay no moments, those forks in the road where you said yes to whatever it is, to a business opportunity, or you said no to someone asked you to marry you and you said no, or you said yes to moving to a different state or what, you know, whatever those things are. And, and honestly, the, the most successful people in life and in business, if they have one skill above any other, Nick, it's having total and complete control over those yay no moments and, and really bringing those into the conscious mind. And even just like, you know, how you breathe is a, is a yay no moment. How you sit in your chair, right? Do you sit up straight? Do you slouch? Do you eat the junk food? Do you do whatever you like? All of those moments are yay no moments. And I think that we tend to look past the importance of all of those micro decisions that we make. And of course, always the, the macro ones as well. Man, I, I am a, such a, a big believer in that. I, I harp on it. I beat people up about it all the time. You know, and I, that's why I, I take a lot of thought into the decisions I make, but not so much that I'm, I'm overthinking or paralysis by analysis, but I do own at the end of the day, hey, I made that decision. And I'll have people come up to me and say, you know, I just... I wanted to run this by you, or I, I, you know, I wanted to option this, but just so you know, and they gave me a disclaimer. I go, I'm never going to be the guy that makes the decision and blame somebody else for that decision. Like I'm grown up, I understand it's it's part of doing business, and I don't fear making the wrong decisions, which I, I've heard you talk about a lot. Is not using that word a failure at all, which I thought was great, but you know, something with 
but I struggle with that. And I don't really know the right decision. And I feel like I need a, a reset, something that I've always had for the last 15 years, which, you know what? My head's clouded. I can't, I can't really see what's right in front of me right now. I need to reset. I'm going to jujitsu. And that would always be the thing. Like hour and a half later, I come back and I'm like, oh, this is the easiest decision in the world. What was I even struggling with? So that's one of the things that I've loved that has helped me tremendously in life and business for owning things personally, professionally, making better decisions, taking better care of myself, being a better leader. I can appoint jujitsu as like the catalyst for so many great things in my life. And I love that you being a brown belt, obviously, you've had those trials and tribulations. You didn't get there by accident. You got there by getting beaten up, getting tapped out, getting submitted and coming back and getting better every day which I feel like is a very similar path to where you are in business. So talk a little bit about uh, jujitsu in general. What, what attracted you to it and how has it helped you in life and business? Yeah. Um, so I'm a 20 plus year practitioner. I stepped on the mat in, uh, in 2000 <laughs> and that was, that was the first time I rolled. Um, I just saw Hoist Gracie doing his thing. And I was like, I, I gotta know what this is. Right. And so, um, that's actually not true. I, I had rolled a little bit around, um, 96, 97, uh, really early. There's just a couple guys getting together and, you know, the school was just a bunch of guys just hanging out and never really turned into anything. And I stopped doing it, but I was hooked because I had been lifting weights for a long time. And I just got tired of, of going to the gym and, and running and lifting weights and all that stuff. And I was just really looking for a new form of exercise. And that combined with seeing what, what Hoyce was able to do there, I was like, man, this, this is like perfect. Right. And so out of the gate, it was, you know, if you've ever taken part in jujitsu, it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting philosophy that they have in terms of you basically just sink or you swim. Like they don't, they don't, they don't really care. Like you, even on your first day, you're going to go in and you're going to start sparring. You're going to feel, well, for the most part, I mean, I know there's, there's a little bit of a workup. I don't want to get in all that, but the, the bottom line being, they're going to throw you in the pool and you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And so for me, I, I loved it. Like I loved just being completely tossed around and choked out and the limbs put in crazy positions and tapping. Like, I'm like, I want to know how you do that. Other people, when they go through it, they're like, Oh hell no. You know, this guy's sitting on me. Like I had a buddy who started out with me and I remember there was this big redhead. So I'm not the biggest guy in the world. My buddy's not the biggest guy in the world. And I remember the worst thing that you can do as, as a white belt, when you first come onto the mats is spar a white belt with like one stripe or two stripes because they know just enough to, to be able to, to do things and you know, nothing. And so I remember my buddy was, um, was sparring with this, this big redheaded guy. And so my buddy at the time was probably a buck 40, something like that. And this guy was at least 200 pounds and just fat and sweaty and his big redhead. And he just sat on him in the mount position and just sweat, you know, it was kind of like dripping down on my buddy. And after that, he was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't want to get, you know, I'm not going to sit under somebody and get sweat on. It's just, you know, it's gross, disgusting, whatever. But for me, I was, I was hooked. You know, I was hooked right away. And I figured, look, I, I may not be the best. I'm not the world's best athlete. Um, I, I actually think I have some form of dyslexia. I don't, it's never been diagnosed, but some of the moves, like I just, it doesn't matter how many times they explain them to me. I just don't get it. And it shows up in other ways too. Like you ever go to Ikea, right? Buy one of those things and you come home and you build it, right? So 
Those things for most people are fairly straightforward, fairly simple. The number of times I have tried to put one of those things together and then one of the pieces is backwards <laughs> or one of the forward, like, and then you got to redo the whole thing. Like I have done that so many times. It's not even funny. And so for me, I'm, I'm not the world's greatest jujitsu practitioner by any stretch. I mean, I'm not, I can't muscle my way through people. I'm not that big of a guy, but I've just stayed the course and I've, started, I've stopped, I've started, I've stopped. I got my brown belt in 2010, bro. <laughs> I've got three stripes on it right now. As a matter of fact, I I fractured a piece of my shoulder on the toss when I got tossed on the when going from purple to brown. Oh. So one of the one of the black belts tossed me and they teach you how to fall and I and I should have fallen okay, but it was just slightly off. And like I fractured a, a small piece of my of my shoulder, not my shoulder blade, but where the where the arm kind of connects into the shoulder, whatever it is. Anyway, and and so I took some time off, and then I went back, and then I had a surgery, took more time, and it was just like, man, you know, I just I've watched all my buddies get their black belts, first degree, second degree, third degree, and I'm just sitting here with this brown belt, man, and now I'm 51. I'm like, God, you know, I just. I don't know. It's like every time I go to the gym, I think it's going to get easier. I'm going to get better. And and it never does because you you cannot teach 20-year-old strength. Like a 20-year-old blue belt is the scariest person walking the planet. <laughs> like that guy is, is insane. And so for me, being older, brown belt, three stripes, I'm, I'm a target every time, right? And so, but it humbles you, man. You know, I, I get tapped. I, I will say I don't get tapped so much by blue belts, but I will occasionally get tapped by a purple belt. I'll always get tapped by a brown belt and I'll always get tapped by a black belt. And so my defense has become really, really good over the years. Offense is not so great, but this is a perfect story of perseverance, man. And, and if we didn't have COVID and all this and my son, you know, was, was okay. We've got two boys. Our youngest son has asthma. You know, I just can't risk, bring in COVID home to him with that pre-existing condition. So it's been a bummer, man, because I was in a pretty good groove there for about a year. Um, and, you know, with everything going on, I just can't get back on the mats right now. So more perseverance and uh, and I'll get it. And, and it'll be 22 years since the first time I really stepped on the mat. Man, that's outstanding, though. That You know, again, your story on the mat is very similar to your journey off the mat. And I, I love that. And I don't think that that's an accident at all. And I'm with you, man. Like the, you, know, you go to the gym now and I'm, I'm walking and I haven't, I've rolled once in the last 12 months and I can't remember the last time that's happened for the same thing. You know, I have asthma. I don't want to get my parents sick or anybody, but it's hard. You know, you watch that and then you go to the gym and then there's the, the purple belt who is training three times a day. He's getting ready to be like the main event of the local competition. And I'm like, you know, what? just take the arm. I'll tap. We're good. I'd rather live to train all week because if I have a battle with you now, I'm not going to be able to train for three months because I'm old now. You know, it's just yeah. different, man. You know, but you you don't care as much where it used to really bother me. I'd be like, yeah, I'll tap. I don't care. Whatever. I'm just yeah. here to train. So. Yeah. And, and, and I will say that that's one of the more humbling aspects of, of jujitsu. And, and I do think as men, it's good to be able to go and get that aggression out and really just be able to, to work it out and, and, and get your body moving and use your strength and this, that, and the other. But at the same token, I do think as men that when you're, when you're humbled and when somebody literally hands your ass to you, 
it, it makes you a better person off of the mats as well. Because uh, most guys, and look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an MMA guy. I'm, I'm, I've never knock wood, you know, too old now to be fighting anyway. But I, you know, I've never been punched in the face hard enough. For, I mean, I've been hit a lot of times in jujitsu, but not like where somebody, you know, broke my jaw or broke my nose or something of that nature. But the way that you get manhandled and thrown around by some of these guys in in jujitsu, you know, it's pretty similar to getting punched in the jaw. Like, it's just one of those things where it, it, it knocks you back or wrong. And I think that's actually a good thing because as, as men, the more cocky and, and arrogant that you get, um, I actually don't think that works to your, to your benefit. I think it makes you a more well-rounded human being and a more empathetic human being off of the mats because you understand now, you know, what it's like to not always be Mr. Alpha. And I think those guys that walk around as the alpha all the time are, are missing out on, on a whole other piece of the equation that is really vital towards having a, a complete existence here on this planet. I agree completely. Have you seen the video of Matt Serra with the drunk guy in the bar in Las Vegas, right before the, right before he got inducted into the hall of fame, that guy kind of attacked him in the restaurant. I don't know if I've seen that one. I don't think I'll so. I saw BJ Penn get knocked out in front of the club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's this viral video. It's huge. And, and it's this, this drunk guy in Vegas, and he's harassing, like, a bunch of people in the restaurant. And then he stands up and looks at Matt like he's going to come after him. And Matt literally, like, gently takes him down, gently puts him in mount, holding his wrist like the guy's a little kid. And he's going, it's okay. Hey, just relax. Calm down. And then, like, hands the guy off to the security guard. And it was, like, the greatest commercial for jujitsu, because it was like, this guy's literally getting inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame tomorrow. He could beat the crap out of you, but he didn't even hurt you. But he wow. he defused the situation. He took it on the chin so nobody else was going to be, you know, was going to be faced with whatever this guy was going to do. But more importantly, like Joe Rogan had said it too, most people walk around having no idea what a guy like that can actually do to him. And that food chain has taught me anyway from jujitsu of like, man, like there's black belts and then there's black belts and then there's Matt Sarah and then there's like these UFC guys. And yeah. Like the food chain, when somebody who doesn't train doesn't know how low they actually are on that, it's just yeah. mind blowing. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. It's if anything, it's taught me to be way more, way more humble. Like you said, I, I didn't learn how to fight and then go. I could beat everybody up. I learned how to fight and go. Man, I had no idea there was so many people that could beat my ass. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. And I learned how to fight so that I didn't have to fight and don't want to fight and don't like fighting because the, the, the real fighting, if you will, takes place on the mats. And as a matter of fact, I, um, I got jumped about six months ago by, I was walking with a friend on one of the trails here in San Diego. Um, and some crazy dude literally, and we had been warned another guy down the path that told us, Hey, look, man, there's, there's a, there's a crazy guy out there. Just he's, he's nuts. You know, he's like screaming racial things and this, that, and the other. And just, you know, he's, he's crazy. And me and my buddy just kind of looked at each other and we we're like, mm, okay, that doesn't sound good. But we kept walking, kept walking, kept walking. And sure enough, we're about a hundred yards from the end of this, this trail here. And if we, if we went the other way and just, you know, we're like, okay, fine, we'll just avoid them and go back. You know, it would have been like a three mile hike back to the, you know, to the original entrance. Right. So we are like a hundred yards out. This guy jumps out and he's screaming just like you mother effers this. And you are the mother effers who did this and you snitched and this, that, and the other. And I know who the F you are and look at you and your Mexican mother. And then he's talking to me and he said, you, I know who you are, Pedro. And like, you know, I'm, I'm Polish and Russian and like, I'm, I'm, 
you know, okay, fine. But in that moment I became Pedro and like the instincts just kicked in, man, you know, and it's like all that training just kicked in and he's in my face and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm Matt Sarah, but I'm just Matt Sarah in that moment. You know I mean? You just go straight into that position of, of just the hands up. I mean, just with open hands, right. I mean, not fists. So you're not in like a, um, you know, in an aggressive stance, but just, you know, the hands up shuffling the feet, just keeping it the way you need to keep it. So you can keep moving. I've moved my back so that it was to the trails opposed to the bushes, which were literally just on right other side of us. And I don't know where my buddy was in all this. So he said he was <laughs> behind me. I don't know, but he's like, you know, swing on me. Come on. You know, he's just going and going and going. And, you know, basically I just kind of talked him out of the tree and just moved past him. But, you know, at the same token, you know, he could have had a knife. He could have, who knows what he could have had there. But what I've become very clear on is, is this sport especially gives you a real unfair advantage. I mean, that guy could have swung. He was kind of, he was taller than me, you know, six foot, you know, good shape for a crazy homeless dude or whatever he was. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you know, reality is, could he have knocked me out with one punch? Sure. Are there one punch fights? Absolutely. It happens all the time. But reality is if we had gone at it and I absorbed one punch and got in and, and we went down once we hit the ground, it's unfair. I mean, it is, it is literally unfair. And, and I think that's part of uh, you know, the beauty here of this sport is just being able to give yourself that unfair advantage, but at the same token, always recognizing that no matter how good you are, there's always someone better. So you can continually improve upon yourself and it always gives you the opportunity, depending on the school that you go to, of course. But for now, it's much different than 20 years ago. Now you can always improve your game because there's almost always going to be someone there that's better than you. Yeah, I love that, man. Well said. It's like, uh, I think it was Hickson who said like, hey, man, I'll fight a shark anytime, but I, I get to fight him on the mat, not in the water, because that's where I'm comfortable. You know, it's it yeah. really is like a fish out of water for somebody who goes to the ground and doesn't know jujitsu. Um, wh where do you train? I know jo I've trained all over the, the country. I train a lot in California. I know Jocko's got a school out there and you're friends with him. Do you train with him? No, and I would never will. That guy's a beast. Are you kidding? I, I mean, I have this picture. So he came and spoke at the, at the last in-person New Media Summit. Um, and we took some photos together beforehand and we both had our fists up. And I don't know if you've ever seen this guy's mitts, but they, they're, you, you find it somewhere if you can find it or whatever. But his, his mallets, man, his mitts are literally twice the size of mine. Like it is insane how big this guy is just in terms of like the thickness of this man. So, um, no, he's got, Vic, uh, is it victory? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, victory. Hey, I think it no, it's not victory. No, whatever it is. I think it is victory. Whatever. doesn't matter. Um, um, no, that's, that's like, that's, that's a school that's on another level. Uh, that's where Dean uh, Lister is. So Dean Lister oh, wow. is there. Um, and there's, there's a couple of other guys that are there. That are, I mean, so they're, they're like on a whole other level. More, my style is more recreational. I ain't trying to, you know, I ain't trying to get to that level anymore. I'm 51. Like literally every time I, I step on the mat nowadays, I sprain something. <laughs> so, you know, and that's just from stepping on the mat. So for me, no, dude, I'm, I'm not over there. I'm, I'm, I had been with Carlson Gracie. I trained with Carlson Gracie, the old man in Chicago, uh, before he died. And then with his son, Carlson Gracie Jr. Uh, and then when we moved to San Diego, I did a little bit of time at Humida, uh, and I'm, I'm over at Gracie Baja now. Outstanding, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually, I train 
from New York, but I spent a lot of time in Chicago. So I have been training in Chicago at the BJJ lab under a guy named Mark Turner. And uh, it's a school under Damian Maya. And like, great, there's just great jujitsu between New York, California, Chicago, where it's like the main three places I spend time. There's so many great guys to, to train with. But um, oh, yeah. I don't want to take up. I know, I know we're running out of time here. Uh, so where, where do people find you? How do people connect with you? Yeah, man. So, um, we've been talking about podcast magazine. So podcastmagazine.com slash free, uh, grab a free lifetime subscription there backdoor link. Uh, what is your, what discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. We give away the whole New York times bestseller at what is your, what.com. Uh, and join me on clubhouse. My handle is at podcasts and we run club pod and we'd love to have you join us for the fun there. That's awesome. And I am a part of all that last question before I let you go. If you had a time machine, and a younger you came and asked you for advice. Knowing what you know now about life and business, what advice would you give a young Steve Ulsher? Um, I mean, I would just simply say, you know, you're going to fail and there is no such thing as failure. Failure is just success with an unintended ending. And so just look at it as collecting data. It's all about data as entrepreneurs. That's the game we're in is collecting data. And so at the end of the day, the more data you get, the better you are, the smarter you are, the more you can move forward with purpose and conviction. Um, and just, you know, trust your instincts because I'm one who has always been really early to various trends and I get out of things before it actually hits critical mass. So I would just tell myself to be patient um, and stay in things longer than perhaps I, I think I, I should. And when I get bored of it, that's probably the time that I really need to go all in instead of trying to bail out. Fair enough. Well, I very much appreciate you saying yes today. I know you easily could have said, no, you're a very busy guy. I'm a fan of you. I have a lot of respect for you and I appreciate you doing this. Any final thoughts before we let you go? No, man. All good. I appreciate you. And uh, just keep up the good work with the A-game. Thanks so much, man. I look forward to seeing the summit soon. Steve Osher, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You're so